Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we'll join the Doctor, Zoe and Jamie as they encounter the seeds of death. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions, the villains, and giving the story a score out of five. We would also love to hear your thoughts on this story. So to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Paddington, I will hand over to you for your story recap. Thank you. Episode 1. At the team at Control Centre on Earth, all supply transfers seem to be going to schedule, with the exception of the transfer to Moscow, which is awaiting clearance from the team at Control Centre on the moon. The Control Centre assistant administrator, a woman named Gia Kelly, asks what the issue is, and she is told by one of her subordinates that the supplies from Moscow have ended up in Canberra. She blames the mistake on the assistant administrator of the Moon Control Centre, a man named Fusion. After correcting the mistake, Fusion's superior, a man named Osgood, enters the control room, but his happy mood is ruined when he is told of Fusion's mistake. Osgood, who had given Fusion the position as he saw potential in him, promises to rectify the situation and is transported to the Moon via one of the team at cubicles. Moments later, Gia's own supervisor, Commander Radnor, arrives but she doesn't update him on the situation, believing that she had already has things well in hand. On the Moon Control Center, Osgood berates Fusion, who tries to make excuses for his mistake, but Osgood tells him to go back to Earth. Just before he leaves, an alarm sounds throughout the base and they hear screams coming from the hallway. Three base technicians run in as they are being chased by some unseen creature. One of them tries to escape towards an airlock, but the creature kills him using an energy weapon. The creature demands that they all obey its commands and Osgood reluctantly agrees to cooperate, but it is actually a ruse and he overloads the main video link computer. Another of the creatures arrives and kills Osgood at the command of the first. On Earth, the lack of communication has not gone unnoticed and Radnor tells Gia to find out what is going on and fast. The TARDIS lands and the crew take a look at the view screen to assess their new location. After seeing the confusing images of a mid-21st century rocket beside an early Soviet spacesuit, the Doctor realises that they are in a museum. He suggests going to take a look outside and Jamie and Zoe eagerly dash outside. As they look around, Zoe accidentally activates an information video about the TMAT system. As they are discussing the superiority of the TARDIS over the TMAT, someone walks in and holds them at gunpoint. Back on the moon, the creature tries to force Fusion to follow his instructions, but he says that he is not skilled enough to do what it is asked of him. The two technicians, Phipps and Locke, say that only Gia is capable of assisting the creature, but they cannot get to Earth as the TMAT between the two sites has been damaged. The creature says that unless they fix it by the time it returns, it will kill them all. The creature then departs, leaving a guard at the door. The trio then discuss the likelihood of their survival if they comply with the creature's demands, but Fusion says that he will do anything to live. Fusion tries to get them to help repair the TMAT, but Locke instead says he will repair the video link so he can send a warning to Earth. Back on Earth, Radnor is under pressure from his global superiors to fix the supply issues, and he is frustrated when Gia tells him that the problem is coming from the Moon Control Center, but they have no way of contacting them. She jokingly says that the only way that they could reach it is via a rocket, but since rockets are no longer used, they are still stuck for a solution. However, Radnor says that there is a possibility to use a rocket, and that there is one man who can help them. Back in the museum, the armed man asks the travellers what they are doing in his museum, since it is closed to the public. He identifies himself as Professor Eldred, and he assumes that they have come to ridicule both himself and the museum the way that everyone else does, or to steal something. They apologise for the intrusion and insist that they have no desire to take anything from the museum, which they say they are genuinely interested in. 
Doctor points out one of the rocket models as being particularly fascinating, and Eldred enthusiastically shows it to him, saying that it was designed for deep space exploration, but the creation of the team had stopped development on the project. Jamie and Zoe comment on the two being like kids in a candy store, and Eldred reveals that he was the designer of the rocket, so it is special to him as it was his life's work. Before they can talk any further, an alarm goes off and Radnor and Gia enter the room. Eldred then accuses the travellers of being spies for Radnor, but Radnor assures his old friend that he has never seen them before in his life. Eldred remains bitter towards Radnor for abandoning him to go work on the TMAP project. Radnor reveals that he is aware that Eldred has been secretly building a rocket, and he asks him to contribute to it to help fix the issue at the Moon Control Centre, promising full government support for it. However, Eldred rather smugly says no. Before Radnor can say anything else, Radnor gets an alert over the PA system that there's an incoming message from the Moon Control Centre. A video screen then activates, and Locke appears after having successfully repaired the video link. He tells him that Osgood is dead, but Radnor calls out a warning about something behind him, and Locke turns to see the recently returned creature, who is revealed to be an ice warrior. He destroys the video link, and then commands the guard to kill Locke, which he does so with his sonic gun. Episode 2 Phipps makes a break for it, and the ice warrior commander, whose name is Slar, orders the guard to pursue him. He turns his attention to Fusion, who pleads that he didn't help them repair the video link, and he is still trying to repair the team at for them. Slar lets him go back to work, but warns him that if he can't fix it, then he will die. Back in the museum, everyone begs Eldred to see reason and to contribute his rocket to help save the staff on the moon. Eldred then says that it isn't ready, and even with all the resources it needs made readily available, it still wouldn't be ready in time. Jamie asks Zoe and the Doctor if there's any way that they can help, and they agree that even though the TARDIS would be unsuitable to use, as they could either land past the moon or in a different time period, they offer their experience as space travellers to help get the rocket ready. However, Eldred still refuses to help. A message then comes in for Radnor, stating that the local authorities of various cities are complaining about the delays in the supplies from the TMAT. Eldred sarcastically comments on the fallibility of the TMAT, but Radnor counters that unless they fix it, then the world will devolve into chaos and millions will be at risk. Eldred again tries to object, saying that the Doctor and the others will be at risk, but Radnor says it needs to be done, and he orders Gia to organise work to begin on the rocket. Later, Gia expresses her concerns for the trio being suitable to pilot the rocket, but Radnor says that they have no other choice, as astronaut training ceased being funded years beforehand. He tells her that in a briefing moments beforehand, the Doctor and Zoe express more space knowledge than Eldred did, but he shares her concerns about Jamie's capabilities. He asks the Doctor if he plans on all three of them going, but Jamie cuts across them and insists on not being left behind. Their discussion then turns to the return trip, as there is only enough fuel to get them to the moon. The Doctor says that they can use the team at to get back, but Radnor says that they will need to fix it first, which could be difficult. Eldred says that there is an automated refueling station not far from the moon control centre. Eldred then takes the trio aside to go over their food supplies and tells them about the homing beacon that will guide them to the control centre. As they are talking, Gia says to Radnor that maybe she should go on the mission as she can help prepare the team at. Radnor refuses, saying that he needs her to assist him from the Earth Control Center. The Doctor tries to reassure them that they will be safe, but she points out that they still have no idea exactly what they will find once they arrive. Up on the moon, Fusion works to fix the team at, but says that even if he gets it working, it will not be able to send any size of an invasion force down to Earth. Slar doesn't seem phased by this, and says the plant will be under their control soon. Meanwhile, the Ice Warriors search for Phipps, who has been taken refuge in a storage room containing solar power equipment. He searches the room for anything he can use to defend himself. Fusion manages to repair the team at and is told to set it so that they can only receive incoming transfers. Back on Earth, the rocket is put through its pre-launch system check and the Doctor and Radnor go over the plan, which is to reconnect the video link and then follow Gia's instructions on how to fix the team at. 
The rocket successfully takes off, but Eldred discovers the video link is not working, and Gia desperately tries to contact the travelers via radio. After a few tense moments, Zoe answers her calls, saying that they are waiting for the artificial gravity to kick in. The doctor tries to repair the video link, but it short circuits, filling the cockpit with smoke and blowing out the radio link as well. Gia, Radnor and Eldred try to figure out what to do next when they are told about the repaired TMAT link and its limited ability to only receive. Gia says that she will go up as she is the best chance at fixing the issue. Radnor tries to order her to stay, but she refuses, saying that if he tries to stop her again, she will go over his head to get permission. She arrives at the Moon Control Center with a pair of technicians and sees Fusion alone. He says that Osgood went insane and tried to destroy the equipment, killing Locke in the process. He says that Phipps was injured and is currently under sedation. Gia finds the whole story to be incredible, but seems dubious when she notices how scared Fusion is, and when he tells her that Osgood apparently committed suicide by going outside the base without a pressure suit. Nevertheless, she and the technician set about repairing the main errors with the team at. Fusion disables their emergency one again, saying that he doesn't want to burn it out, and Gia agrees, saying that it would prevent Radnor from sending guards to bring her back. Meanwhile, Phipps has constructed a rudimentary radio to try and send a warning to Earth, but to no avail. On the rocket, Zoe and the Doctor are explaining how the homing beacon between the rocket and the moon control center works, saying that it operates on a separate solar power source that arrested radio links in the center. Deactivate it and it successfully establishes a connection. Meanwhile, Phipps continues to try and message Art, but he's overheard by an ice warrior who enters the room. He then flips a switch on the solar power control panel that diverts the power to a solar lamp trap that he had set up which disintegrates the ice warrior. He switches it back and continues his attempts to contact Art. However, by flipping the switch, he inadvertently cut the homing beacon signal and the rocket crew desperately tries to re-establish contact, as Zoe points out that they will either crash into the moon or continue drifting off into space. Episode 3 Zoe calculates that if they drift off course, then they will reach the sun in five months' time, but Jamie says that they have a bigger problem, as they only have enough supplies for three days. The doctor then says that he can hear something coming via the radio link, and they pick up Phipps' distress call. After some initial astonishment that they are speaking to him from a rocket, he informs them of the invasion of the control centre. The Doctor and Jamie recognise the Ice Warriors from his description of them, and they fill Zoe in on their history with them. They hope they use Phipps' radio signals to guide them in for a landing, but he tells them to go back to Earth to warn them. The Doctor says that they will need to land in refuel as they don't have enough to return to Earth. Phipps then agrees to keep the radio link open, but he warns them that it could cut out at any moment. They eventually start to make their descent, but the radio link cuts out, and the Doctor desperately tries to re-establish contact, lest they crash into a mountain range or to a forest instead. Phipps manages to replace a transistor in the radio and the link is re-established, allowing the rocket to land safely. The doctor tells Zoe to oversee the refueling and tells Jamie to stay behind to look after her whilst he goes to rescue Phipps. Zoe tells Jamie to keep an eye on the fuel pump and to switch it off once it is full. In the meantime, she says she will go to inspect the landing thrusters to make sure that there is no damage that could prevent them from taking off again. In the TMAT room, G and the technicians manage to fully repair the TMAT and say they will go back to Earth, but they are stopped by the Ice Warriors. One of the technicians is killed when he tries to escape, and the other is killed trying to fight back, leaving Gia surrounded by Ice Warriors. Fusion takes a look at the TMAT and informs Slara that they now have the capability to transport anything to any city on Earth. Gia tries to get him to stop, but he refuses. She then asks the purpose of their invasion and points out that they will encounter heavy resistance from the full military power of Earth, but Slara says there will be no resistance. Fusion wants to know what would happen to them, and is told so long as they are useful they will remain alive. Gia swears that she will not help the Ice Warriors, but he tells her that she will die if she doesn't. The Doctor successfully makes his way to the solar storage room, where he meets Phipps. He tells Phipps that in order to keep Earth safe, he will have to disable the TMAT system. 
He relays this to Jamie, who warns the Doctor to be careful of the Ice Warriors. Zoe returns and tells Jamie that the trusters are damaged and the only way back to Earth is via the team at. They try to contact the Doctor to inform him of the new development, but they get no response. Left with no other choice, they make their way to the control centre. The Doctor and Phipps are making their way through the corridors when they see Gia being escorted by an Ice Warrior. They scatter as he prepares to fire, and Gia uses the distraction as a chance to escape. The Doctor tackles the Ice Warrior and then leads him away from the others. Unfortunately, he is eventually trapped when other Ice Warriors join the pursuit, but he manages to stave off his execution by saying their leader can make use of his vast intelligence. Meanwhile, Jamie and Zoe are trying to navigate the maze-like corridors when they are forced to take cover when they hear an Ice Warrior approaching. However, he overhears their whispered conversation and they flee when the Ice Warrior starts to pursue them. They manage to give him the slip and continue their search for the Doctor. In the team at room, Slar is instructing Fusion to deliver special cargo to various cities in the Northern Hemisphere when the Doctor is brought in. Slar tells the others to find Gia and demands to know how the Doctor arrived. He is sceptical of the Doctor's story and completely disbelieves his statement that the Earth is preparing a fleet of rockets. The Doctor says that an invasion by Tiamat is doomed to fail due to the limited amount of Ice Warriors present. Just then a pair of Ice Warriors arrive carrying a crate of large seeds. They tell Slar that he must begin his orders as given to him by the Grand Marshal and he leaves telling the others to find the other humans and keep them under guard with the Doctor or kill them if they try to escape. The Doctor questions Fusion if he knows anything about the seeds but he doesn't so the Doctor says he must find out for himself. He tries to enlist Fusion to make a distraction, and he reluctantly does so once the Doctor says that they will most likely be killed if he is caught. Fusion distracts the guard, but it does not last for long, and the guard turns around and sees the Doctor opening one of the crates. He is about to kill him when Slar returns and orders the Doctor to carry on opening the crate. He takes out one of the seeds, which expands rapidly before bursting, filling the air with smoke that chokes the Doctor, who passes out onto the floor. Meanwhile, Jamie and Zoe locate the solar storage room, where Phipps and G are hiding, and they fill the young duo in on what happened to the Doctor. They discuss the best way to overcome the Ice Warriors and rescue the Doctor, and they decide to use the old maintenance tunnels to reach the temperature control panel in the main control room. Once it is too hot for the Ice Warriors to move, they can rescue the Doctor and then use the T-Mat to get back to Earth. Zoe goes to keep a lookout, while Phipps and Jamie work away at the access hatch, and she warns them that an Ice Warrior is coming towards them. Jamie barricades the door, but it won't hold for long, and he gets Phipps to prepare the solar lamp trap. The ice wire enters just as Phipps finishes setting it up, and he manages to disintegrate the creature. In the team at room, Slar orders Fusion to send the first seed to Earth, and it arrives at the Earth Control Center, where Radnor is informing Eldred of reports of starvation in areas that rely on the team at. They see the seed arrive, and one of the technicians touches it, causing it to expand. Episode 4 the seed explodes and one of the technicians gets hit by the smoke from it. Eldred and Radnor get hit by some of the residue and are wrecked with a coughing fit. Radnor checks the technician and sees that he is dead and Eldred says to turn on the air conditioning to extract the smoke out of the room. Radnor then orders the body to be taken for an autopsy and he then discusses the nature of the seed with Eldred who says that some plants reproduce by dispersal similar to what the seed did and he then realises that they vented the smoke out into the air in London. Up on the moon, Fusion is following the instructions of the Ice Warriors and sending seeds to selected cities. In the solar storage room, G and Zoe are repairing Phipps's solar lamp trap as the last time they used it caused one of the circuits to burn out. Zoe wonders what could be taking Jamie and Phipps so long to reach the temperature controls, fearing that they may have run afoul of the Ice Warriors. The duo have actually arrived at the grate leading into the team at room, and they watch as another seed is being sent to Earth. The seeds have been arriving at their destinations, causing several deaths of the personnel at the respective team at centres. All of these events are reported to Radnor and Eldred, who are trying to find a pattern to the locations. 
Just then, the autopsy report comes back and says the technician died of oxygen starvation, which Eldred is amazed at, as it usually takes several minutes to die that way. Eldred wonders how the smoke that was ejected out into the air is affecting the area. On the surface, foam begins to form where the smoke lands. It continually bursts with fresh pockets of smoke being carried away by the breeze where it lands and creates more foam. The last of the seeds has been sent for the time being, and Fusion goes to check on the doctor, announcing that he is still alive. Slar is taken aback by this and orders Fusion to take the doctor to the team at and instructs him to transport him into the void of space. Fusion balks at this and is horrified when he is told that the seeds would have caused the downfall of his whole race. When he further refuses, Slar threatens to kill him and he reluctantly agrees but says that he will need to reprogram the team at as it only transfers to Earth. As he is working on this, Jamie and Phipps, having overheard Slar's orders, have made their way to the rear of the team at chamber the doctor is in and managed to pull him into their hiding spot seconds before Fusion activates the team at. Fusion sits despondent as Slar orders his men to be transported to London. He then leaves and tells his remaining men to find the humans and keep an eye on Fusion. Meanwhile, Phipps sends Jamie back to the storage room with the doctor, whilst he presses on ahead to the temperature controls. However, the grill that leads into the room is too small for him to get through, and he makes his way back to the storage room. Back on Earth, reports come in from various team at centres, confirming all the causes of deaths being oxygen and starvation. Eldred and Radnor are being made aware of the expanding foam, but suddenly an ice warrior arrives via Teamat and begins to wreak havoc in the control room. Radnor summons the guards, but their weapons are ineffective against the thick armour of the ice warrior, who pursues the retreating guards and kills them all. He then makes his way to the surface and starts to cross the foam-covered countryside, where he kills a group of men trying to dissolve it. Radnor dispatches more men to try and stop the ice warrior, but Eldred says that they will only end up dead like the others. Eldred then realises the pattern of the city is being targeted and announces that an invasion is most likely imminent. Back on the moon, Phipps has returned to the storage room where Gia says the doctor is okay and is recovering slowly after being given some water, but he is still unconscious. Phipps tells the group about the grill and Zoe volunteers to try and reach the controls, stopping Jamie's protest by saying that it is the only way. On route through the ventilation system, Phipps loses his bearings and the stress of recent events cause him to start panicking and Zoe says that they should rest to give him a chance to recover. This delay is noticed by Jamie and Gia, who does her best to reassure the young Highlander that they are okay. Suddenly, they hear an ice warrior approaching, and they go into hiding, with Gia standing by to activate the solar lamp trap. It doesn't work, but the ice warrior starts to leave. However, he turns back after hearing the doctor moan after he starts to come to. Back in the tunnel, Phipps is unable to get his bearings, and Zoe tries to remember the pathway from the map they looked at earlier. They eventually reach the grill, but they see a guard positioned by the temperature controls. The guard then moves away towards Fusion when he notices him acting oddly, and he says that it is because he is hungry and tired. He then notices Zoe and Phipps by the grill, and he distracts the guard by leading him towards the team at, saying that he needs to check it. Zoe then makes her way to the temperature controls, and after a brief struggle to turn the large metal dial, she cranks the temperature up. However, as she tries to sneak back to the grill, she is spotted by the ice warrior, and Phipps calls out a warning to her, but he is then killed by the ice warrior, who starts to move towards Zoe. She then calls out to Fusion for help. Episode 5. Fusion dashes forward to try and stop the ice warrior, but he is battered to the ground. The ice warrior turns to Zoe, but he collapses to the ground unconscious due to the increase in the temperature. Zoe then goes to check on Fusion, who says he can transport her and the others back to Earth via the team at. Zoe then heads back through the grill so she can inform the others. In the storage room, the ice warrior advances on the doctor, and Jamie and Gia attack him to try and save their friend. The ice warrior easily throws him aside, but he then succumbs to the heat like his counterpart in the team at control room. The doctor wakes up just as Zoe returns and tells them about the fate of Phipps and reveals that Fusion can help them get back to Earth. They then all make their way to the team at room. 
Back on Earth, Radnor is dismayed to discover that his superior, Sir James Gregson, the UN Special Minister in charge of TMAT, has arrived and asks to be brought up to speed on recent events. He doesn't seem impressed by Radnor's handling of the situation and is sceptical of his claims about the Ice Warrior, who at that moment is approaching a nearby weather control station. The Ice Warrior makes his way inside and kills the technician overseeing the station's operations. He sets the weather control unit to the dry setting before disabling it for further use. Back on the moon, G tells Fusion that he will be coming back to Earth with them, where he will be held responsible for his actions. Fusion says that he will send the others back first before he follows on after them using a time delay on the team at the controls. The Doctor, Jamie and Zoe go back first, and the Doctor comments on the unexciting nature of team at travel. Jade then arrives a few moments later and is immediately barraged with questions from Radnor and Gregson. Aldred tells them about the Ice Warrior that arrived to Earth, and the Doctor informs them that the Moon Control Center is in the hands of the Ice Warriors. Fusion still hasn't arrived, and Gia remotely checks the functionality of the time delay switch, and realizes that Fusion lied to her about having fixed it earlier. She says that he must be still working for the Ice Warriors, but the Doctor asks why he helped him to escape. Back on the moon, Fusion pretends to be unconscious as Slar enters the room to, to lower the temperature. He tells Slar that he was knocked unconscious by the others when he refused to return to Earth, and Slar says that he will let him live as long as he helps with the invasion. He says the moon will be a launching point for the incoming Ice Warrior forces, and they will wait until the seeds have done their task. The Doctor asks Radnor if they have been able to find out anything about the foam, and he is told that all efforts have been directed at stopping it. Eldred says that he has some equipment that the Doctor can use to analyse it, and the two depart. Meanwhile, Gia comes up with a temporary solution to use orbital satellites to help operate TMAT in order to deliver relief supplies to the cities most in need. In Eldred's lab, the Doctor manages to get a sample of the foam and determines that it is a type of fungus that seems to lower the oxygen content in the air around it. Eldred says it would lower it to one-tenth of the needed amount for humans, but the Doctor says that it would be very similar to the atmosphere of Mars. Eldred points out that the foam sample is expanding in preparation for dispersal again and says that they should leave, but the Doctor dashes forward and begins to pour different chemicals onto it in an effort to stop it. Eventually one of them works and he calls through to the control centre to inform the others. He gets through to Jamie and Zoe and reveals that ordinary water was what stopped the foam. He tells her to try and contact the weather control station, saying that he has been unable to get through to them himself. He tells them to instruct the station to create as much rain as possible throughout the country. Zoe tries to use the computer to contact Radnor, but it tells her that he cannot be reached as he is in a meeting. Zoe says that they will need to go to the weather control station themselves. They eventually get there, avoiding the expanding foam and sealing the entrance behind them to avoid being attacked by the prowling ice warrior. They discover the body of the technician and the disabled weather control state unit, and they then hear the ice warrior approaching due to his reptilian hissing and go into hiding. Up on the moon, Slar orders his men to bring in a piece of equipment from his ship. Fusion asks what it is, and Slar says that it is a communication beam that would be used to guide the invasion fleet to the moon, and he tells Fusion to stay away from it. The Grand Marshal calls through for an update and tells Slar that the invasion fleet is approaching on schedule. Unseen by Slar and his men, Fusion activates the video link with the Earth Control Center and begins to question Slar about the beacon's power source. The Doctor and Eldred return to the control center and watch the screen with Gia, Radnor and Gregson. He gets Slar to reveal that the beam needs a stable power supply, otherwise any fault in the connection could lead the fleet off course into deep space, where it would be stranded due to their minimal fuel supply. Slar then notices the light from the video link and orders Fusion to be killed and the video link destroyed. As the others stare on in shock, the Doctor orders an impending satellite launch to be cancelled so that it could be fitted with a duplicate signal beacon to lead the invasion fleet away from Earth. The Doctor then discovers that Zoe never got to tell Radnor about the discovery and realises that she and Jamie have gone to the weather control station themselves. 
Eldred then informs him about that the station was the last known location of the rampaging ice warrior, and the doctor rushes off to find his friends. He arrives at the station to find the area outside completely covered in foam. He makes it to the door, covering his face, and begs to be let in before he succumbs to the effects of the foam. His cries are overheard by the ice warrior, who makes his way towards the door. Episode 6 Jamie and Zoe follow after the ice warrior, and Jamie distracts it in order to lead it away while Zoe lets the doctor in. A foam-covered doctor staggers in and helps Zoe shut the door again to stop the foam coming in. Zoe tells him about the ice warrior and they rush off to help Jamie. Jamie has managed to lock the ice warrior in the weather control room and encounters the others in the hallway. Their happy reunion is short-lived though when they hear the ice warrior break out of the room. The doctor leads them into a nearby solar energy room and shuts the door which he says should hold the ice warrior for long enough until Radnor sends some guards. Jamie says that they would be useless against the ice warrior and Zoe suggests looking around to see if there's anything they can use to make a solar weapon like Phipps did. The guards dispatched by Radnor manage to make their way through the foam using water to dissolve it and they then enter the station where they encounter the ice warrior. As Jamie predicted, their weapons proved to be ineffective and the ice warrior proceeds to hunt down the fleeing guards and chases them out of the station. Meanwhile, the doctor manages to successfully rig up two portable solar lamps and he sets off to find the ice warrior alone. He finds him in the hallway and he calls out for Zoe to activate the solar regulator and he successfully disintegrates the ice warrior. In the art control center, Radnor is preparing to go to the weather control station himself as he is anxious over the lack of contact, but the doctor videos in before he leaves. He relays what happened at the weather station and asks about the progress with the fake signal beacon. Radnor says that it is currently being tested by Eldred and Gia, and the doctor says that he will try and fix the weather control unit. Once he gets through, though, he finds the task to be a bit more complicated than first expected. Meanwhile, Gia manages to duplicate the signal perfectly, and when I asked by Eldred how she plans on getting to the satellite launch site without TMAT, she says that she found an old petrol car that she can use. Renner says that he has organised the road to the launch site to be cleared of the foam, but they will need to get rain to get rid of it all. Up on the moon, the Grand Marshal berates Slar for putting the fleet at risk, but Slar says that he will obtain another human to work the TMAT controls for the signal beacon. In the weather control room, the Doctor is hot wearing the weather control unit in an effort to bypass the sabotage the Ice Warrior did. He manages to get it working again and sets it to a heavy rain setting. He then heads back to the control centre with Jamie and Zoe, just in time to see the satellite get launched. Gia asks about the possibility of some of the Ice Warrior ships following the actual signal, but the Doctor says he intends to go up to the moon to disable it, bringing his portable solar lamp device with him. Zoe tells him to be careful, and he arrives in the moon control centre, where he kills an Ice Warrior guarding the control room. He then sets about disabling the signal beacon, but he is stopped when Slar and a guard return. Slar orders the solar lamp to be destroyed, and he then asks the Doctor if he can work the team at. The Doctor initially tries to say he doesn't know how to, but after getting threatened by the guard, he agrees to try, but Slar instructs him to only touch it when he tells him to. Back on Earth, Gia says the signal from the moon has stopped, and so she activates the fake one, but Eldred says that it is a possibility that there may be atmospheric interference, and Jamie agrees, saying that if the Doctor was successful, then he would have returned by now. Slar informs the Grand Marshal that he is the replacement that they need, and it is just in time as the fleet is making its final approach. Slar says that nothing can stop them now, but the Doctor says anything can happen, but Slar threatens to kill them if anything does. However, something does indeed seem to be going wrong, as the party in the Earth Control Centre, who are monitoring the approach of the Ice Warrior fleet, see it start to change course and veer away from the Earth and start heading towards the moon. Radnor and the others are ecstatic at the sight, but Jamie again raises concerns over the safety of the Doctor, and Radnor says that a squad of guards are en route to be sent to the moon. Jamie says that they can't wait that long and convinces Zoe to use the team to send him up to the moon to find the Doctor. 
The Grand Marshal informs Slar that the fleet is being diverted into the sun and cannot pull itself free from the gravitational field, and he blames Slar for it before the video link is cut. Slar confronts the Doctor, who reveals that he had just enough time to tamper with the signal, so it was confined to the control room. He tells Slar about the fake signal and the repairs made to the weather control unit, which will dissolve the foam. He then prepares himself to be killed by the guard, but they are distracted by the arrival of Jamie. The Doctor calls out a warning and wrestles with the guard's sonic gun and aims at a Slar, killing him. Jamie rushes to tackle the Ice Warrior and occupies him long enough for the Doctor to use a live electrical cable to kill him. Back on Earth, reports come in detailing the complete disappearance of the foam and the slow return of normal supply deliveries. G and Radnor start to argue with Eldred over his insistence for the need of a permanent supply of rockets in the event that T-Mat fails again, and he turns to the Doctor for support only to find the Traveller's gone. The three have gone back to the TARDIS and Zoe asks where they are off to next, and Jamie replies that, as always, they would have no idea much to the Doctor's chagrin. End of the story. So, once again, the Doctor has saved us from the terror of the Ice Warriors and their incessant hissing. I recently watched Monsters, Inc. for like the 50th time, recently, with my daughter, and all I could think of was like, one of the monsters is like, I was going for a stealth slash ninja approach with a bit of hissing. <laughs> it's just funny. Uh, so yes, now that that is done, we're going to go to our favorite victory location, which is the trivia spot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Byington. So trivia for today. The air date for the Seeds of Death is the 25th of January to the 1st of March, 1969. The writer of the story is Brian Hales. This is the fourth of six writing credits for Brian. We previously discussed his work in The Celestial Toymaker, The Smugglers, and The Ice Warriors. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned over the last few weeks that Fraser was continu- considering leaving, and you know, last week was meant to be his last story originally, and then there was chops and changes or whatever. This made it really difficult for Brian to write the story because he thought that Jamie wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And then... Patrick was going to be off on holidays so he had to write an episode without the doctor in it as well so it became a little bit complicated um he wasn't able to complete it on time so Terence Dix rewrote a lot of it with Hale's consent though that's why Hale's Hmm. maintains the writer credit but it was Terence who brought in the Ice Warrior fleet that was a Terence introduction and apparently there was meant to be a subplot where Gia gets hypnotized and Terence took that part out yeah, like I, I'm, I'm kind of glad about that because, like, you know, like, like, can there please be a race that doesn't hypnotize someone? Yeah, we're we're on a good stretch at the moment with no hypnotization. Yeah. I want to keep it going for a little while longer. Yeah, um, we will discuss Brian's work again when we discuss the curse and then later the monster of Peladon. The the fact that Jamie isn't was like it was difficult to write for him. That might lead into a point I have about the Doctor later on. Hmm. Okay. That's that's kind of that's kind of interesting kind of uh, to have prior to the comment that we're going to make there in mm-hmm. a few minutes. I mentioned it was last week. I mentioned that like originally he was going to be replaced, replaced by someone called Nick. So this yep. story was meant to have this Nick <laughs> character. I was like, okay. Um, <sighs> the director for the story is Michael Ferguson. This is the second of four stories directed by Michael. We previously discussed his work in the War Machines, and we'll see his work again in the Ambassadors of Death and the Claws of Axos. This story's working title was originally called The Lords of the Red Planet. That sounds cool. That sounds cool. I like that. I don't think it does. 
No? Sounds very pretentious. I pre- I preferred the Seeds of Death. I think. Well, no, 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 no. See, don't get me wrong. I love Seeds of Death because, like, the title is fantastic. And what I really enjoy is, I suppose, more so in kind of the classic era, is that the titles didn't give any indication as to who the villain would be until the villain was revealed. In most cases. In most Unless cases, Unless the yes. villains were Daleks. Yes. In, in mo- <laughs> but like, as we've seen, like, you know, with the, the Cybermen, like, we had, like, the Wheel in Space and we had the Invasion, uh, Moonbase, and so on. Um, mm. I, but I, I kind of like that. But Lords of the Red Planet just sounds kind of cool. Mm. And actually, speaking, I'm going to skip down a second to, to something a bit further down my notes. So mm-hmm. we've discussed that, like, with the Invasion, and wheel in space and stuff like that. Sometimes the reveals get ruined by Radio Times or whatever releasing casting lists mm-hmm. or like including promotional pictures in advance. Steve Peters, who plays Slar, mm-hmm. I think it's Slar now, um, was actually credited in Radio Times as Alien for episode one. In order to keep the reveal that it was the Ice Warriors a secret, because Peter had never played an Ice Warrior before. So there was no correlation between him and who this alien could be, which that's I think kinda, is pretty cool. Because, like, just skipping forward, like, you know, a good few years, uh, it, with the, the revival, uh, like, episode five. Now, what, mm-hmm. one thing that the revival does is they have a little teaser trailer of what's coming next week. That, yeah. I, I think after, like, the first or second season, I stopped because I hated getting surprised or getting stuff spoiled. And episode five of season one, it's called Dalek. I was going, yeah. how much better would it have been if it was like some title something else? Because that is a very good episode. And I cannot, oh, wait, to, I cannot wait to discuss it. But it, that's the one thing about that episode that I find a massive flaw in. Mm. But anyway, back to the seats. <laughs> this is actually the only story to feature footage of an Ice Warrior on location, at least in classic. Um, according to Michael Ferguson, <laughs> there was a bit of an accident uh, involving this fact. So... Mm. Uh, Steve Peters was leaning against a tree in his ice warrior costume, <laughs> minus his helmet, having a cigarette. And a woman drove past, was completely distracted, and rammed into the back of a police car. <laughs> that avocado is smoking. <laughs> <laughs> I find it so funny. It's like, you know, not only did she crash, she crashed into a police car. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> Can that kind of story going, but did you not see, did you not see him over there? <laughs> um, we mentioned that there was changes made to Brian's scripts. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian's scripts also differed from the initial story breakdown. Kelly was originally a man who was assisted by a woman named Mary Burkott. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was then changed to a female woman named Gia or Gaia Kelly. Um, and Mary became Brent. Different Brent. Uh, the Ice Lords were originally meant to be their own humanoid species. They weren't originally meant to be the Ice Warriors. Um, they were meant to be more human than the Ice Warriors. And episode two would have introduced Slyre's superior, who was named Visek. The spores were only intended to erupt after four weeks rather than instantaneously. And initially would have been destroyed by concentrated oxygen, like liquid oxygen, instead of water. So a couple of differences there. Yeah, because like one thing that you do notice is that Slar is very different to the rest of the Ice Warriors in the sense of he doesn't have that same 
thick body armor that they do. Mm. He's more svelte in his appearance. Yeah. Did we have any svelte ice warriors in the ice warriors? The we had a few different that, helmets. Didn't we had a few different helmets, and the only one that I can think of, I think his name was uh, Tirok, is the one that chases Victoria into the ice mm. chasm. His helmet was different, and he was a bit more uh, slender, but he still had armor on. Mm. So I don't know where that was, because it was um, Sonny Cal- Caldenez, the guy that played... Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Your man uh, from... Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Evil Alex. That was him, yeah. I think. Mm. And so like, obviously it was a bit more uh, streamlined. Mm. But, it, but it, it was armor all the same, so there was only Ice Warriors in the Ice Warriors. This is the first appearance of an Ice Lord. So, as I mentioned, Patrick is not in episode four. He was on holidays. Um, this is actually the last story where a main cast member is on holiday during the production. Mm. Uh, the episode counts per season were changed after this, so it wasn't needed anymore. The footage of the first rocket we see is stock material of Mariner 4, which was a mission launched in 1964 to map the surface of Mars, which is kind of thematically appropriate. Yes. The footage of the locket launch in episode 6 is also stock footage, and that's from a Soviet launch in 1948 of an R-1 missile, which is a short-range copy of a German V-2 missile. When Zoe lets the doctor inside the weather control place, (laughs) he falls back in the phone, and you can clearly see that she's smiling as she closes the door. That's because Patrick genuinely slipped. (laughs) That wasn't in the script. Patrick fell over, and Wendy was trying really hard not to laugh. This is the first story from Patrick's run that was released on home video. Interesting uh-huh. to know. Um, it was the first story from the 60s and in black and white to receive a release on video. Cool. The script originally contained a line where Eldred said that his rocket achieved the first manned moon landing. This was altered to take into account the fact that NASA would probably get there quite soon. So yeah. <laughs> they removed that from the script. <laughs> Wendy Padbury has another interesting outfit. A more sort of white uh, trouser suit type thing. Yeah. Uh, apparently she really liked it. She liked it so much she purchased it. But she had to pay for it before they started filming. Uh. <laughs> and in the scene where she's crawling through the tunnel, apparently the paint was still wet. Oh, so the ouch. suit that she paid money for yeah. got paint on it. Okay, moving on to our cast. So, as Daniel Eldred, we have Philip Ray. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Philip. His non-Who credits include Star and Company, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Sons and Lovers, Zed Cars, Little Big Time, and Conqueror's Road. Philip passed away in 1978. Fibs is played by Christopher Call. This is the first of two acting credits for Christopher. We'll see him again in The Mutants. His non-Who credits include Zed Cars again. Coronation Street, United, and Grange Hill. Christopher passed away in May of this year. Commander Radner is played by Ronald Lee Hunt. This is the first of two-ish appearances for Ronald. I say two-ish because we'll see him again in Revenge of the Cybermen. And there's flashbacks to that in Earthshock. So he himself is not in Earthshock, but there's flashbacks. Okay. His non-who credits include Oscar Wilde, Crossroads, Out of the Unknown, The Naked Sun, General Hospital, The Omen, Emmerdale Farm, Frankenstein, and Zed Cars. You got a look on your face when I said The Omen. Well, yes, because now I have to figure out who the hell he is in The Omen. <laughs> <laughs> so, carry on. Ronald passed away back in 2005. 
Gia Gaia Kelly, whichever, is played by Louise Pajo. P A J O. Uh, depending on where she's from, it could be Pajo or Pajo. Pajo. Louise. Um, only Doctor Who acting credit for Louise. Her non Who credits include Romeo and Juliet, The Avengers, Jane Eyre, UFO, Prisoner, Salbach H, A Country Practice, and Home and Away. Louise passed away in November of 2020. Lastly, as Fushum, we have Terry Scully. Again, only Doctor Who acting credit for Terry. His non-Who credits include An Age of Kings, Zed Cars Again, The Foresight Saga, Softly Softly, Treasure Island, and Blake Seven. Terry passed away back in 2001. And I found out who he plays in The Omen. He plays <laughs> a fucking just a bit character. He's a blinking and miss a character, but he does share the scene with Patrick Trouton. Oh, who comes up to know. warn Gregory Peck, you know, that I need to talk to you. And it sets off the whole really creepy Patrick Troughton moment in that story. <laughs> Before we end off this section, um, we do want to take a moment to remember Jackie Lane. So Jackie passed away earlier this week on June 23rd, 2021. Uh, Jackie played the first Doctor's companion Dodo from the massacre to the war machines. And our thoughts and prayers are with Jackie's loved ones at this time. Yes. So, once again, as always, once again, as always, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, thank you very much for all the very interesting information from the Trivia Spot Rush. We are now going to go on to the main part of the podcast, uh, which is the character discussion. So we have the Doctor, the Companions, the Villains, and as has become a bit more frequent in recent uh, weeks, is the prominent character section, of which Mm -hmm. they are not quite villains, nor are they directly companions of the main characters. So this week we have, as always, the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe. We have Eldred and Phipps as companions. Uh, For prominent characters, we have Radnor, Gia, and Fushim. And then for the villains, we have the Ice Warriors. So, as always, we shall begin with the man himself. And Trish, what do you think of the Doctor this time around? I think this story is really good in that we see all the different sides of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. We see his fun side. We see his science nerd side. We also see him like science growing it up with um, Eldred. We see his serious side in a big way. And we see his dangerous side. Yes. And all of those things together are so perfectly portrayed by Patrick. Mm-hmm. None of them seems out of out of place. Like none of it seems like, oh, what the hell happened there? Like why is he? What the, what the fuck? Like where is this coming from? It's all very natural. It's all very naturally paced and fair dues to Terence and to Brian for writing it that way. That's all very naturally paced, and Patrick goes from one moment to the next. In it's just such a natural movement. Yeah, I think of all the episodes we've talked about that shows the multiple different sides of the Doctor. I think this is the one that probably had the most natural flow through those different sides. No, oh, big time, big time. Um, now, when you sp- spoke about the most dangerous side of him, because mm. I have a comment about uh, that aspect of him, but like, what, what is your take on, or you know, what's your view of his dangerous side? I have two. There's yeah. a small component, mm-hmm. 
which is measured, and a big component, which is less measured. So the measured component is he makes his own heat ray thing. Yeah. So Phipps made one, and then the doctor made his own one. And I say that's a more measured example of his dangerous side, because when Phipps did his, those ice warriors were gone. They were dust on the ground. Whereas the doctor just seems to knock them out. Or potentially kill them, but not destroy the body. I I think it's the the second option. I think they I think they die, but they don't go. They they get zatted once, not twice, or no, yeah. three, time, so, three times, three times, three times. Yeah. So they they get zatted twice. <laughs> they get zatted twice. Uh, not, yeah, not three times. Yeah. yeah. So it's a very measured response. It's not overkill. It's a necessary evil. The broader side of it is that. He does not even try to talk to Slar or to Slar's leader mm-hmm. around the end of the story. It's we're going to redirect them into the sun. And that's it. And like Zoe mentioned earlier that it would take months for them to actually eventually die up. And then you have Slar saying, well, they wouldn't even take that long because they would gradually boil alive, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I find that interesting, like from a dangerous side, is that there was no morality question. And there was no give them a better option or, you know, knock them off course mm-hmm. in the hopes of then finding a way to correct them to go back to their own planet or whatever. Yeah. It's he just fucked off and <laughs> let them go into a sun. That that's like those are the two points that I had raised as well, and like with the with the with the cyber fleet or the ice warrior fleet, mm. that type of behavior, I think, has only been exclusively reserved for the Daleks. Primarily coming from like the first Doctor, where like you know mm. like going back all the way to the Daleks, where he said like you know even if I wanted to, I don't I I can't. You know, yeah. like when the Daleks ask for mercy, or then like in in Dalek Invasion of Earth, when he said, "This is the final war order to the, to the Robomen, kill all the Daleks." Mm. It then so it's only ever been reserved for that one specific enemy. Everything else, he's given the option to try and fix your ways. Mm. So that coming out here, I thought was very very intense. Now the the first point you made though about the the solar lamp weapon, I thought that that was that's probably the most violent we've ever seen him because he is like, he's brandishing it like it's a gun, you know, and mm. he's there and he's blasting the guys. Do you think that this decision to have him be that violent plays into the issue surrounding the writing of, or Jamie's reduced role? Do you think if this is, if Jamie had been, say if Fraser had said that there had been, if he hadn't considered leaving, do you mm. think Jamie would be the one doing this instead of the doctor? I don't think so. Cause still, even if Jamie was the one using it, mm-hmm. it still would have been the Doctor building it. Oh, oh yeah, no, like obviously, yeah, the Doctor and, would have to build it. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't. I don't think in this story, it's hard to imagine what. It's hard to imagine how they would write the story differently mm-hmm. if Fraser hadn't been considering leaving. Um, it's hard to imagine what that would come out like. I think though that, I think it works for the Doctor in this story and. It doesn't seem like it seem. It's an interesting discussion point, but in my mind, it's not out of place hmm. because it's not violent in the sense of he doesn't disintegrate them. No, it's 
relatively quick. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's not something the doctor came up with. It's a mechanism we've yeah, seen, we've seen. works. Yeah. I think it was if he came up with it in his own mind, even like, well, Jesus, calm the fuck down. Like, there was something very Ripley about it, I, I found. You know, when she straps the flamethrower to the, the assault <laughs> rifle. Just like, just like this kind of ad hoc weapon. Um, no, I agree with you with everything that you said about him here. Uh, I love his Hail Mary science when he's just basically throwing random vials <laughs> on, <laughs> on the wall. It, one thing that I find funny about that, it, it's very, um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the moon base, actually, with the poly cocktail. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason for that is he has no idea if it was the water that did it mm-hmm. or if it was the combination <laughs> of yeah. those chemicals. And like, he clearly didn't learn anything, like, learn anything from Zoe scolding you know, on the crotons. Like, you know, how could you be sure that it was the <laughs> sulfur that did the tellurium? You know, how was it convenient tellurium? Yeah. Um, there's one fantastic moment in this story. And it's at the very end when the doctor tells Slayer, like, your plans were foiled. And he just stands straight, closes his eyes, and waits to get shot. Yeah. It's a, it's I, a, I thought that was brilliant. Like, it's a... I think, uh, I think by virtue of the fact that like I had paused because I needed to write up the notes to that point, I just saw it and I was like, "That's an amazing moment from Troughton. It's an amazing, mm-hmm. it's an amazing Doctor moment, and so it is very fitting for the Doctor character to kind of go, like, he's he's protected his friends and he's protected the people of Earth and he's done the right thing. It's not for him to try and finagle or weasel or whatever his way out of it. He's willing to accept his debt at that point." I thought it was a great moment from Troughton. I do too. There was other. There was one other moment that I particularly loved, and it's something that we see with doctors every now and again. And I always love it when it comes up. And it comes up in different ways for each one of them. When he's waking up from being knocked out by the seed gas, mm-hmm. he calls for Jamie, mm-hmm. and he calls for Victoria. And I always love that. I love when we see the doctor. Particularly if it's been a while since yeah. the departure of the companion. I love that. There's one with Victoria again that's going to come up um, a couple of years down the line. There's one with Seven in um, Fenris or whatever, the Curse of Curse, Fenris. Curse of Fenric. Curse of Fenric. There's one with... That one is brilliant. And I, I don't know, I just love it when you get the sense that like he still thinks of them. Oh, like there's um, there's a fantastic because if you think about it, um, and unfortunately, it's, I don't think it's seen by as many Who fans as it should. Uh, Death of the Doctor in the Sarah Jane Adventures, mm. when because obviously you know you have that montage you know, going forward on the line you know with the Tenth Doctor and mm. that there is the thing of thing of no 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 everyone he thought of everyone yeah yeah so that that is great and it's great to actually, it's great to see it on screen and like i think with victoria it's very special because as you said like it happens with right here and it's going to happen uh, yeah you're referring to tom aren't you yeah yeah that clearly certain companions make a well they may not make a a huge dent for some of the fans they still make a dent for the doctor in terms of his fondness for them yeah and particularly with victoria because I was quite critical of the doctor's relationship with Victoria. Yeah. So I like having this little little nod to her. 
I love those types of nods in general, but I particularly liked this one because I was just so critical of their relationship. Mm. Um, that it's nice that the writers acknowledge the fact that when he's disorientated, he went to the fact that she was still with them, which which I just I, I really liked it. Yeah, no, I I agree. I just a fantastic performance throughout the entire story for Sean. I think mm, definitely cool. So now we have the companions. Yes. Cool. So we've got Jamie, Zoe, Eldred, and Phipps. So do you want to start mm-hmm. off or will I start off? Uh, I'll start off. Uh, I want to start off with Jamie. So yeah. Jamie doesn't have a whole lot to do in this story. There's nothing very specific for Jamie, which we've said before isn't a bad thing. You know, people, mm-hmm. But again, what I like about Jamie in this is he doesn't let himself be sidelined. No. There was very genuine concerns raised about what value would Jamie provide in the rocket. Mm-hmm. There were genuine concerns. I understand where they came from. And Jamie's just like, no, fuck you. I'm not letting them go off without me. Don't even think about it. Yeah. And like throughout the story, he just refuses to let people sideline him mm-hmm. unless, you know, absolutely necessary. And I do love as well. Then we see the, two major areas of it but like how protective he is of zoe yeah and then later on when he's like no send me up he has no idea what situation the doctor's in and he doesn't care he's like send me up that that my place is there that, but that's that, that's jamie that 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 is yeah. that is who jamie is like it's you know you know charge of the light brigade almost type thing you know mm. so if bullets don't work the mccrimmon punch will work Unless it doesn't, shite. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, like I, I again, I agree with you here because, like, he, this is another. The one thing I love about Jamie, and it's a testament to Fraser Hines, is that it's it's consistent performances throughout the whole way through. I think. Hmm. Um, no, there was something that I don't know if you picked up on it, or if it was just. There seemed to be a slight regression from jamie in terms of the science jargon aspect of stuff because i've seen other stories where there's lots of science jargon being thrown around and he seems to be kind of like oh for god's sake you know speak english type thing Hmm. whereas here he appeared to be now initially i thought it was like he appeared to be a bit more tantrumic in the sense of you but what does that mean and what does this and whatever but then i realized well He's in a rocket that's about to be fucked off into space unless they fix it. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, I, I'm going to maybe like step that thing back a small bit because when we got into Zoe now, my big fear was that we're going to see a case of here where like the, the writing doesn't cater to two companions. Mm. You know, because we've seen times like where like, even with the three companions, like you know, we've split it right down the middle and everyone's gotten like a fair shake of the stick here i thought that we were and not in a bad way now mind you that we were putting the emphasis on one at the expense of the other but what i realized is like with obviously with the fact that the fraser's announcement to the writing staff brian and terence desperately trying to finagle a script that didn't have like you know him being sent up to thunderbird five you know for fucking the majority (laughs) of the story up there with barbara and whoever else um (laughs) but the more I kind of realized that, like the more I thought back on it, Jamie's reactions to a lot of stuff 
are completely within character because of the of the danger of the situation that they find themselves in. Yeah, I'd agree. Like I had a concern around that as well a little bit that he was a bit more whiny and yeah. you know a bit of a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it in context, and the thing that sort of cemented it in my mind was actually the wheel in space, mm. where he did that spacewalk thing. Yeah. So the concept of what can happen to you in space if you are not going to where you're meant to be going isn't altogether foreign to him. No. Um, like They were going across open space and essentially being shot at. Yeah. So I think when you consider the fact that like he has enough of an understanding to kind of go, I hold the fucking phone. What? What do you mean? That's not working. Like what yeah. the hell? <laughs> like he doesn't know enough to know how easy would that be to fix, and yeah. how much of a problem is it? He can't compartmentalize that the same way the doctor and Zoe can. Mm-hmm. But he understands enough to know that when the communication system is gone, he's like. That's an issue. Mm-hmm. We generally need that. Communication is always good. Yeah. So I think his reactions are realistic. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's something we're not used to with him. Yeah. Yeah. No. And yeah. And, and like, I think again, the background to the writing of the story does kind of lead into that a small bit. And, mm. but like, it's not a complete, you know, it, it's to make a comment it's not like a susan story where it's like really really strong and then it's like you oh i've lost the will to live type territory you know the, the example i'd actually give is that in slightly different ways the way jamie's worked into the story and the way he has to be worked into the story is actually quite similar to the moon base so jamie wasn't originally meant to be staying on yeah to be in the moon base he was meant to be one story one and done mm-hmm. so they kind of had to cram him in there and so he spent most of the story lying on the hospital bed unconscious and then after that he was just sort of parroting Ben yeah, rather than having anything of his own to do I think this is a similar situation handled much much better mm. because they know the character now yeah no. they know what they can have him do, do yeah know? I like that yeah I like that so next we have the five feet of fury <laughs> that is Zoe <laughs> Back to back science episodes for Zoe. Yes. I'm liking this. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I was very concerned about her at the start, you know? And I, I'm liking I'm liking where this is going. I think, you know, hopefully Jamie will have a bit more to do next week. You mm-hmm. know, get that balance a bit more right for going into the last bit. But um back to back science I love how I love how the doctor just leads her to it. Yeah. And also, was it just me? Or did it come across to you that she was the one in command of the rocket, not yeah. him. I I I got that because it actually kind of like going back to the moon base. Um, you know the doctor's comments, you know that he has a doctorate from your man in eighteen eighty whatever, mm. you know, and Polly makes the comment. Maybe there's some stuff <laughs> that he didn't know. I still it. love that. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're here because, as we know, the doctor. Yeah, he travels in time and space, but Zoe is probably closer in time. To a, th- to a, th- a time where rocket technology isn't, you know, this, oh, big fable thing. So I think, yeah, she's probably in, probably in con- control of stuff more. And especially for the fact that it's it's a guided vehicle going from point A to point B in a straight line. 
not the TARDIS, which is theoretically point A to point B in like that, you know? Yeah, I think I think to that point as well, like the Doctor has experience with space travel and whatever, and he obviously is familiar with different um ships. Like we even saw that back all the way back in the sensor rights, right? Yeah. That he could he could pilot that ship. Yeah. But that's not usually his mode of travel. Uh, whereas for Zoe, it is. <laughs> was it? Well, it's like uh, Indiana Jones. I didn't know you could fly a plane. Fly, yes. Land, no. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, but I love the fact that she got to be the one in charge. You know. Yeah. Um, she did have a little bit of condescending stuff with Jamie, which is still funny, but it's getting mm. a little bit concerning. But Jamie handles himself completely. He just takes it on the chin and is just like, yeah, fuck, fuck you. I can read a dial. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> Do you know? Um, but yeah, I, I thought she was really good in this. I Again, I got like flashbacks or is it flash forwards? I don't know how you describe it. With her in the vent and she's about this wide. Yeah. Reminds me again of something coming down the line. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think Zoe did really well in this. I would have... The one thing that I didn't like because it it sort of sets her up in 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 some ways and maybe if they'd played it a bit differently. But when Jamie asks her, "Oh, can you get the computer to work so they can contact Radnor?" Mm-hmm. and she's like, "Yeah," and all she does is talk to it, but she can't convince it to connect to him. And I'm like, "No, no!" Literally, in the invasion, we saw her make a fucking computer blow up yeah she should have been able to get around that logic um a bit better but then we wouldn't have had that episode <laughs> you know if Zoe could tell him then that, that episode and that cliffhanger wouldn't exist so actually what did you think of the computer voice it was so weird yeah it it's 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 just so like stilted and it's someone trying it, it's so funny right i was actually thinking about this right so I have looked at in the past, I haven't looked at it in years, but I've looked at it in the past, writing text mm-hmm. for an AI to read yeah. out, right? Just based on my job, right? And it's actually very difficult to do that. Like, you, you can't just, you know, give an AI a, you know, paragraph of a book and have them read it with correct inflection and pausing and breaking and emphasis. It doesn't work that way. You have, you have to be very specific. Mm-hmm. What this sounds like to me is a human trying to duplicate the way a computer would read a piece of normally typed text. Do you know? Does that make any sense? Like, it's not like an int- It's not like the computer from Star Trek. It's not Major Barrett who got inflection and yeah. pausing and tones and whatever. It's the, if you had a screen reader right now, it's someone trying to impersonate a screen reader that doesn't know when to pause and inflect properly. But it was weird, like because like <laughs> you would think that they would get the computer to sound less sinister. Command that red door to and it's just like going, oh god, it's gonna turn on them. It's gonna turn on them. <laughs> yeah, it's also clearly never heard of full stops. No, this <laughs> is one constant there's, there's string. There's no into punctuation whatsoever. Yeah, but that's what I mean by like if you ever have like a screen reader or like if you ever watch one, you know, one of those YouTube videos where it's just a computer reading out an article yeah. or whatever, and everything just sort of runs together. Like that's what happens when a computer like reads out just something in front of you. Like if you want to have it be properly inflected and whatever, a you need to have an AI capable of doing that. In the case of like the Star Trek computer, for example, 
or in the case of our current AI, our current like smart assistants, whatever, you have to write, you actually have to code the content in such a way that they can actually read it. Mm. Um, so for me, I thought it was funny that you have, as opposed to it just being a computerized voice, which we've seen before, it's someone trying to actually be a computer. <laughs> 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 and read it the way you can read it. It's like yeah. I'm looking at my notes now, right? And I have a bit like that bit where I said, I "Love how the doctors leave their tooth." So the way it was literally being read out is like, "Love how the doctors leave their tooth," and it also seems to have command of the rocket, which is cool to see her condescending stuff. Which it's just this constant string of like just words. <laughs> You're just like, wait, wait, wait for the full stop. Wait for dear God, man, punctuation. <laughs> the grand was always like stop shut the fuck up it's grand <laughs> so during the conversation back to Zoe <laughs> um, again you've been in my notes clearly because I agree with everything you're saying I did like her moment of you know you know like, like oh, only someone like the, the vent isn't big enough for the lads to fit you and she's like well I'll go because and you're know, putting that hold now James like I know it's the only way I have to do this and Fair fucks to her, you know. She go. She's clearly like getting inspiration from the doctor and Jamie, and she's like, "There's no hesitation by her whatsoever." There's she does her best, like you know, Scooby Doo villain stealth walk to turn up the temperature. Mm. Uh, so she, she, that base is really badly designed. Oh. The only place to control the temperature is from the main command area. Yeah, there is no like. Not sure there's a back end system you can use to raise the temperature. Sure, it's a separate fucking room. <laughs> yeah, and also I love the fact that it's not like it's a thermostat. Although I'll get to the, I'll get to the thermostat part in a second. By itself, it's like a ship's like steering wheel. Yeah, <laughs> it's like rotated this way. Like there's no actual there's no idea of how far it is. Did you read the temperatures of that thing it was coming up with? No. It was like 20 degrees centigrade, 30 degrees centigrade, 50 degrees centigrade, then it went up to 60 degrees centigrade. <laughs> and they're going, how are the humans not falling over? <laughs> <laughs> humans in the future are made of sturdier stuff. <laughs> but like, none of them were even sweating. No. Do you know, whereas I think in... The original Ice Warrior story where they did a similar thing where they raised temperature. Didn't the humans at least sweat? <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, no, they, they just like, you got like perspire, but then again, everyone was wearing fucking thick, heavy fur coats. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, don't, I, I just I just found that weird. Do you know? <sighs> and like, I think Zoe was wearing like leather, like, so Jesus Christ, she must have been fucking bucketing. Yeah, well, like, it's just like 60 degrees centigrade. Like, that's fucking. Gonna be twice the fucking body temperature of a human being. Yeah, like where you mind, like if it hits forty degrees in somewhere like Spain or Portugal or something, it makes the news. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so for know, our, our, our Irish listeners are going sixty degrees, dear God in heaven. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I was talking about the guys in work with us the other weekend. It hit like what 24, 25 degrees in Cork. Mm-hmm. I nearly died. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're not built for sun. <laughs> no, we're really not. <laughs> so then, why the what the fuck do our people keep going to Australia? <laughs> so, moving on. 
uh, we have our story-based companions of Eldred and Phipps. Eldred must live. No, no, wait. That, there's something wrong there. That's that's the wrong one again. <laughs> this isn't a, this isn't a Saxon villager. <laughs> when you sent me through the list of characters, I just was going, Eldred. What the hell is Eldred doing the list? And I was like, Oh, it's Eldred with, a D, yes. with an E. Yes. Uh, I really liked Eldred. Mm. Um, I love the fact that he's just like. You got yourself into this mess. Don't go fucking crawling to me to get you out of it. <laughs> and even at the end, like throughout the story, and even at the end, it's a little bit dickish, but he's like, so, how's that team at working for you? <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> I, I actually, like, I genuinely laughed, like, you know, when there was a whole thing, like, will you help us? No. <laughs> it, was just, it was a sort of a nah, fuck you type the only thing with Radnor. I, I enjoyed that. Um, no, I, I really liked him. Like, I loved his science bro stuff with the Doctor. Also, like, he's the probably, he's probably the easiest person in the world to rob because like he has them at gunpoint and then like they express interest in his rocket, at which point like it's like, oh, yes, let me show you everything. <laughs> it's like, cool, fair enough. No wonder you keep getting shit stolen from you. <laughs> um, I can't, one, one thing I like about him as well, we kind of mentioned this uh, last week with mm. Beta, mm-hmm. was he's like the Earth's foremost knowledgeable person on rockets. Yeah. He's building his own, apparently, you know, Mm-hmm. on the slide you know no one knows about it um but i love the fact that he's very like no hold the fuck you can't fucking rush this i was just building that as a hobby like what the shit are you talking about <laughs> and the fact that he's like they could die like he's genuinely so terrified of them using his rocket and he's just like <laughs> no 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 stop <laughs> it's made from an old four focus and a couple of toasters <laughs> Uh, um, I did love like his perception though of the whole thing of that you know while Radnor is so busy just focusing on fixing the team at no one's asking he's the only one asking the question like why these specific cities Mm. like why not just like they have access to every team at center in the world why are they only going above the equator yeah I think that's very good I like at the end as well excuse me when you have Gia and Radnor both revert back to Tmat is God, all mm-hmm. all reverence for Tmat, and he's like, "No, this has clearly proved the point that <laughs> your infallible system is fallible. So, rockets, let's reinvest in those because it's you know." He's like, Did, "Were you paying attention for the last <laughs> however long this has been? What two days or something? I imagine." Yeah. The aliens had nothing to do with the initial glitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just... <laughs> it's like... Um, oh, no, it's just like one of those things like, you know, where it's like, you know, like... Um, ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Where it's just like, oh, this definitely isn't the trap this time. <laughs> um, and then we have... Do you have anything else to say about Eldred? Other than that he no. must potentially live? Yes. <laughs> El- Eldred must live. Eldred? Eh. <laughs> yeah. If there's room I would the like it if Eldred lived because yeah. he was funny. <laughs> yeah. So now we have Phipps, or as I call him, Space MacGyver. 
So I clearly missed something when I was watching this. I don't know. Maybe I blinked. I don't know. How the fuck did Fibs die? Because he couldn't fit through the vent. So how was he caught in the crossfire? So the ice wire shot at him. So the, the ice wire shot him in the face through the vent. Yep. And as we've, as we've discovered about ice wire technology, it basically twisted his brain inside out. Okay, because I completely missed that. And then Zoe's like, oh, Fibs is dead. I was like, fuck, since when? Yeah, no, because I was like, kind of going like, oh, like, like, did he... I was half expecting him to come out and try and save Zoe, you know. But he f- can't get out of yeah, the fence. That was the yeah, whole point. <laughs> or, like, or trying to call her. You know? Yeah, so like, no, he just basically got shot flat in the face. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I genuinely missed it. And I was like... What? Yep. <laughs> um, I thought he was a really cool character. Um, it, you described him there as like Space MacGyver. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that this the entire time he's just working his own shit in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I made a knife wrench. <laughs> you, know, you just ever um, imagine him there like in that tech room kind of going <laughs> Fuck's sake! <laughs> uh, uh, one thing that I like about what Phipps represents mm. is that it's the great point of Doctor Who is that don't get overly attached to the supporting characters because you're never guaranteed which of them will come out alive. Mm. That's, think, that's a fair point. Yeah, we got spoiled, like, for example, no one's in the moon base, where, where a lot of the predominant supporting characters survived. Because mm. uh, like, that's one like, that we always kind of talk about when it comes to supporting cast. And then, like, here it's kind of, you're like waiting, like, oh, will, you know, will Gia potentially get killed? Will Eldred potentially, you know, die or whatever it is? And it's Phipps, and it's like, the guy that helped do so much, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate, you know? But I think it makes the time that a lot of people do survive, it makes it that much more special. Mm. One thing that I like about Phipps as well is that he sort of proves a point in science fiction, which I love. Mm -hmm. And you have shows like Star Trek that don't really honor it, or even Stargate, they don't really honor it as much. Phipps would never have been a main character. If you were making a show, Phipps would not have been. He was a random engineer who ran in with all of the other random engineers. Yeah. He is like an original series fucking red shirt, mm-hmm. you know? But it wasn't the person in charge who, in this case, it was Fusham. It wasn't him that was saving the day. Yeah. It was, you know, it, it was the knuckle draggers. Yeah. You know, if you, if you go to BSG type thing, about Star Galactic type reference, yeah. it's the knuckle draggers who actually like you could lose your main character, as in like your like your leader, and oh yes, I'm in command, or whatever. But it's the guys who do the job day to day, the guys who know the tech inside out and back to front. Yeah, the guys who keep the machine going, who keep the plane flying, or whatever. Lower decks. <laughs> yeah, it's lower. De- it's it's lower decks. It's you know held you know the whole idea of um, it's the other guys it's yeah you know it's what the hell 
it's you know the chief in Battlestar Galactica and his whole crew of knuckle draggers, you know. Yeah. It's not always the hot shot. It's you know the guys no. in the background, which exactly. I, I think Vips represents that in a really good way. Oh, he really, you know, he really, really does. So now we have the prominent characters of Radnor, Gia, and Fusion. So who do you want to start off with? Should I just do them in that order? Sure, sure. Cool. No point in changing. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I like about Ragnar, or Ragnar, sorry. <laughs> I've been watching Vikings. Ragnar uh, is, like, okay, it's it's evident like that he, like, he bought into, like, initially I, d- I didn't like him at the start because it's clearly that he bought into Tiamat. And he saw the ben- how it could benefit, like I suppose, his standing by buying into it. And he had no compunction about leaving Eldred behind with his rockets. So that kind of soured me towards him at the start. But I start to gain a small bit more, I won't say respect, but appreciation for the character as it went on. Because not only was he getting stick from Gia, his underling, his boss is also into the equation. He's like fucking kind of hammering down. And he's staying the course. He's trying to resolve the issue. Now he's... Mm completely oblivious to Eldred's input in terms of like, you know, don't send the guards after the ice wire, it's a waste of men. We need to be focusing on the specific pattern as opposed to just fixing the team at. But what I like about it is that he doesn't act like a he doesn't act like a douche. He doesn't act like um your man from the Ice Warriors. Mm. The the base yeah. commander who was just like, you know, all you know, all ego. He doesn't mm. act that way. His whole thing is like, we need to fix the problem. But unfortunately, he's just so focused on the problem, he's not paying attention to the potential solutions. Yeah. One of the things I really liked about him was that, like, I mean, you're right. He did put all his eggs in the team math basket, right? Yeah. But from almost the beginning, he wasn't afraid to go hat in hand to Eldred. No. You know, yeah, he kind of presented it as sort of like, hey, so you can help us. You know, it was, yeah. it was sort of presented in this sort of like <laughs> Do it for your old pal Gil, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um But you know, as soon as Gia mentioned, Oh, it's too bad we won't have rockets anymore, he was like, No, I know the guy. I know a guy, come on, let's go. Yeah. There was no panic there. Like, and you have to consider like he's the guy in charge of the broken infallible system. Yeah. That apparently the Earth has become so reliant on that in a matter of hours, there's risks of starvation breaking out. What like the shit? Because yeah, like that's the thing. Like the, the constant chain of supplies is going through. Excuse me. So like, how is it being used up so fast? Like, like that's the thing. Is like at this stage of the game or this stage in like Earth's history, is the population surplus so huge that the demands like are we entering like, like. Judge Dread Mega City One type territory, like where it's just such huge population density that supplies run out like that, you know? Or is it a volume thing where they where the volume of stuff being sent through is a sort of I we're gonna make a bit of a Star Trek reference anyway with the whole team mat anyway, but like is it like with the replicator, like you don't go to a replicator and get your week shopping. No. You go to the replicator and get your meal for the day. I wonder if it gives if it gives smaller quantities. It might be that because do you remember like uh, Fusion points out that the TMAT can't send a large invasion force down. It would have to be literally yeah. drips and drabs. It's what fits in the booth. like. Yeah. So I imagine that like they're sending food to these areas. But if you imagine like you know they were mentioning Calcutta and, and some other places. Mm. If you're sending food through... It's you know maybe this, maybe this continuous action. So you've got you know you've got your people lined up and they're waiting for their week's portion or their day's yeah. portion or whatever the case may be. 
and then it stops coming and you've got people in the queue kind of going what the fuck yeah rather than you know a traditional western idea of you know more food than we can manage yeah. um like more food than we could ever hope to eat maybe it's a more sort of day to day week to week yeah. sort of thing type thing I think one thing like to do like outside the podcast is like to chart like the progression of art through the various stories, like to see like you know like the highs and lows of how it's getting. Because at this period of time, I don't think I'd like to live in it. (laughs) Yeah, there's certain like future Earth stories that um, I I would I would be quite interested in, and then there's others that I'm like, nope, nope, nobody, nope. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well like at least we know one thing if you put something up on the moon it will work but it will also be invaded so <laughs> yeah play it cool yeah. and don't rely solely on the moon yes don't, sake. Don't. <laughs> last thing on Radnor before we move on to Gia yeah did he have a thing for her or did he just have a thing for her mind I think because I have a point with her in regards to some stuff I think I think it was her mind Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's very mind. fucking defensive of her. Yeah. It <laughs> was her big sexy mind. Like, he wants to wrap that woman in, like, just, like, bubble wrap and just be like, no. <laughs> you stay there. <laughs> so, speaking of the she who must be protected. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, my thing, right? <laughs> we, we saw her way. Okay. Who's going to go first? <laughs> My thing with that, right, is she's cool, right? Mm-hmm. Who allowed her to become the singular point of failure for the entire team at system? Mm. Like, I get having an SME yeah. for or a particular thing. Yeah. But what happens when she's sick or if she has an accident? Okay, we can't use the hypothetical what happens if she gets hit by a bus because they no longer use buses. But, like, what happens if she falls down the stairs or yeah. whatever? Like, she needs to train a backup for herself fucking ASAP. Mm. Because if she had died, then from the way um, the others describe it, like from the way Radnor describes it, from the way Fuchsia was describing it um, to the Ice Warriors in the beginning, if she's gone, then T-Mat is gone. Yeah. I'm like... That's a problem. <laughs> and it's like, but see, this is the thing now, right? Is that I get the impression that one, this is what Zoe would have turned out like if she had stayed on the wheel. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And the other thing is that I don't think she has anything outside of the job. I think, like, it, literally, it is go to sleep, get up, do tea mat, eat food, go to bed, get up team at whatever the case is. oh yeah you, you kind of get the sense that like she has quarters on base yeah do you know she doesn't have her own life yeah team at is life yeah and so like in, in that regards i suppose like the the risk factor to her in her daily life is therefore lessened well yeah but like still oh I yeah mean, Car- a careless like, careless handyman like you know, drops a hammer on her head you know my <laughs> type of shit yeah do you know it's it's this uh, like, even, like, you know, okay, this podcast is a bad example because we are both points of failure. If, if one of us isn't here, we generally don't do the podcast. Yeah. But, like, 
in your work environment. Yeah. Can you imagine if one person left and suddenly the whole thing ground to a halt? Oh, just like it, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> like what happens? Like what happens if like she's having? If she gets overwhelmed, you know, mm-hmm. super stressed, and her doctor's like, "Do you know what? You're going to have a mandatory vacation. Mm-hmm. Go away for four weeks." And they're they're yeah. going, "No, no, 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 she can't. You get finished, can't leave for four hours. Never, never mind four weeks." No, just like. It's a it, like it's a this infallible system. There's an awful lot of you know failure points with it. <laughs> yeah, like the fact that like this is the other thing, right? It's not about you, but she mentioned at the end. She's like, "Oh, you know, team out will be fine. We're just not going to have everything root through the moon." Why the fuck was everything rooting through the moon in the first place? <laughs> because on the moon, there's no natural disasters. Although apparently, there's no forests on the moon. So yeah, <laughs> if the moon only consists of this one base, why in the name of God did you put forests there? <laughs> well, because no, you'd have two, because you'd have this base and then you have the moon base. There are two different moon bases. <laughs> <laughs> you have, or or is it right that mm-hmm. see, see this is the timeline thing there, right? Yeah. So in this, environmental controls for the planet are managed. In London, or at least environmental controls for London, whereas in the moon base, they're managed on the moon. On the moon. So I wonder if they eventually move away from TMAT, but move environmental control to that same base on the moon. Oh, yeah, could work. And then that base gets invaded, and like motherfucker, (laughs) stop. We're going back to Earth. (laughs) We're going back to Earth. Fuck this shit. There has to be an easier way of doing the credits. Yes, every time they do a Robin Hood movie, they burn our village down. <laughs> <laughs> every time they do a Doctor Who episode, they invade my they invade my fucking moon base. <laughs> Leave us the- alone, Terence Dix. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I really want to watch Men in Tights now. Do I was going to do like it was like who like what kind of accent can we use? Unlike most other you know, British actors, I can speak with a French accent. Um, uh, cool. Also, the way that like she's very, I won't say she, she's she's very. She, it's not like an she's not like an automaton. But she does have that sense of like, you know, she had the emotion beaten out of her at the Academy. At times, she kind of reminded me of Polly in the War Machines when she's hypnotized. Oh, not, I, I, not, I, yeah. Do you mean hypnotized Polly or not? Yeah, yeah, hypnotized Yeah, Polly. she is a bit like hypnotized Polly. Mm. I wonder if part of that carried over from the fact that in the storyline, originally she was going to be hypnotized at one point. Possibly. I wonder if part of that characterization came from there. And cool. So finally, for the prominent characters, we're going to come to who I consider to be probably the most interesting character in this whole story is Fushum. Oh, definitely. Um, the thing about Fushum is Fushum could have so quickly become incredibly fucking annoying mm. because he is a coward. Yeah, that is very obvious. Um, 
he is a coward, he is scared of dying, and it results in him working with the enemy. Mm-hmm. But we get those moments where it's clear that he hasn't, it's not like he's sided with them. He's just doing it to keep himself alive, to stave off what I'm sure he knows is his inevitable death Yeah, at their hands. And I think that character could have very easily been very frustrating. Like to give an example, going back to um, the Web of Fear, mm-hmm. and and your and one of your favorite characters from from the Web of Fear, uh, who whose accent you love to. Oh, uh, sorry, I touched him. I touched him in Chorley, who was a pain in the ass. Driver Evans, yes. The Driver Evans. Yeah. Like Driver Evans was a coward. That was mm-hmm. funny, but mm-hmm. depending on your preference, could have been kind of annoying. Yeah. Uh, I think Fushim could have very easily become that kind of annoying character. Mm-hmm. But they keep him human enough and real enough that that doesn't happen. Yeah, no, like I... His character journey is is great to watch in this. Because as you say, like, you're, you're like he's the he's the incompetent, you know, like, second on the moon. And then it's like, you know, I'm doing... I'm going to do everything I can to survive. And then it's... Like no, you're like you're going to destroy the earth. You know, it's I I can't, I can't allow that. And then it's like you know putting himself into a very dangerous situation, not know, like, mm. knowing very well that he could be killed. And he I sort of feel bad for him as well because like oh, like, and like, Gia this, and Fibs treat him like shit. Yeah, and like there's this whole thing of like you know oh he's a coward he's a whatever, and um, do do what's almost kind of like right. Uh, just because I was going to make a statement, kind of like Snape a small bit, in the sense of like you know quite possibly one of the bravest men in the entire team at our organization for the sacrifice that he made. You know, mm, don't get me started on Snape. No, I, I, I know, but but, <laughs> but but like that was just the most famous example that I could think of. Yeah, no, I I get what you mean, but don't yeah. get me started on Snape. No, I I, I won't, I won't. But it was like the concept of the person that is so reviled ends up being an absolute hero. Yeah, I think it's this thing of, like, Fushum is probably the most human out of all of them. And it's the rest of his comrades' lack of humanity that doesn't let them see it. Mm-hmm. Like, Gia is literally, like, even at the end, going, no, you're coming back to face charges. And I was like, put yourself in his shoes for one fucking moment. Like, do you honestly still believe that he was doing all of that? Like, of his own, that he betrayed the human race? Like, what the fuck? Like, I think that's what makes it really sad for him because, like, he knew once she came on board, mm-hmm. he knew he was in a no win situation. Yeah. Because. He knew her well enough to know that if he went back to Earth, she would have him hung, yeah. drawn, and quartered. Like, yeah, which is sad. Mm-hmm. No, and like I'm pretty sure that we're going to see characters like Fushim down the line, but mm. I think um, both the character of Fushim and the actor who portrayed him—they've set a really good bar. I think they've set a really, really good bar. And yeah. fair dues to Brian and Terence for, for actually writing and creating like such a very interesting character. Because it's all that that's another thing that you like to see is that while the, the story itself is gripping, a character journey of like 
of something like this is also really, really good to see. Yeah. And I, I'll say it here, just in case I forget to mention it in my overall. You know, we, we talk a lot about the strength of a supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Moonbase is always our go-to. The invasion yeah. became part of that go-to. I think the supporting cast in this are right up there with the Moonbase cast. Um, particularly the guy who plays Fusion. Yeah, and also the Web of Fear cast because we quite oh, enjoyed the Web of Fear cast, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no. Like, yeah, it's, it's in good company. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So now we come on to the villains. The Ice Warriors. Now, we're lumping Slar in with the rest of the Ice Warriors because none of the other Ice Warriors are individualistic enough to, no. to have like the separated stuff. But unlike because like last time we had his name escapes me. We had the we, two we had the two guys we, who were slightly Yeah, yeah we had the two guys yeah. that, that were slightly in, in charge of stuff. Like um Islan or well, I can't remember his name. But um so here yeah, here we have them. Although I'm gonna say one thing, right? I initially thought the Grand Marshal was called the Grand Martian. <laughs> I had to go back. And the Grand Marshal, right? Mm. Be- because he um his design, the the the, the shape of his head was a bit more pointy. Mm. I was like, a character called Grand Something with a very pointy headdress. Oh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that I didn't really have to speak a whole lot about the Grand Marshal. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, anyway, back to the Ice Warriors. Okay, so we've discussed before, my preference with who is, I generally prefer human villains. Human villains, yeah. I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of the Daleks. I'm not a big fan of the Cybermen. They have some interesting stories, but mm-hmm. I don't come back to Doctor Who for that. I'm not a big fan of the Ice Warriors for two main reasons. Okay. One, their fucking voices and the hissing and whatever it gets in my brain. It's like nails on a chalkboard. It does my fucking not. Yeah, I had contemplated telling you but that it was going to be Ice Warriors in this one, but then I think you already knew that there was Ice Warriors in it. So I was like, oh, I she's... didn't actually until you sent me the list because I'd forgotten. Uh, well, at least I sent you the list ahead of time. So therefore. Yes, you did. You weren't surprised. And, and yeah, but like, it's just this. Like, I don't even like it when I'm editing this podcast and we include a lot of S's in our sentences. Like, even <laughs> editing what I just said yeah. is going to wreck my head. It's, oh, it's so annoying. It's so <laughs> annoying. It's like Darth Vader's respiratory issues mm-hmm. are cool and ominous, their issues are just, like, it's nailed on a chalkboard. Like, I know it's part of their reptilian nature, but it does sound like they just ran up a flight of stairs. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't mind if they were just, like, if they prolonged their S's. Mm. But, like, it's the breathing. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't like it. The second thing I don't like about them is they are blind as fuck. They have zero peripheral vision whatsoever and Mm. i get that like doctor who at this point in time they're a bit limited by the size of their sets and stuff but like the um soldier ice warriors i suppose that's what to describe yeah um they walk into a room Mm -hmm. and there are people on both sides of them 
they don't turn their head to look to either side. They only ever look straight. And they clearly have no peripheral vision, so they can't see these people who are very obviously there. Like, when Zoe was creeping over to turn up the temperature. Yeah. Like, like if that was in real life, you sort of see this person out of the corner of your eye. And it's like, they don't have a corner of the eye. Um, Which, given the fact that they're slightly reptilian, seems weird. But see, do you remember that, like, so the, because um, we go back to the regular ice warrior, the, the first ice warriors, and there was meant mm-hmm. to be this whole thing of like, they were meant to be like frozen warriors, like frozen knights. Yeah. I think that hallmark is kind of carried over into the fact that they're wearing armor, and that helmet is probably meant to be like a knight's helmet, so like the visors, you really only have what's in front of you. That's fine. Then turn your fucking head when you're looking for someone. <laughs> Yeah, because to be fair, like, Jamie didn't really go do a good uh, job of hiding by just clinging to the side of the filing cabinet. Yeah, like, either have him stop short of the filing cabinet, mm-hmm. or have him turn his head and go, oh, there's a human there. Maybe Holy they're like t- like T-Rexes, their vision is based on movement. <laughs> um, other than that, though, right, so I'm not a big fan of the aesthetic of the Ice Warriors. Um their plan was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I have a question. Okay. How did they know about Tiamat? How do they know which Earth cities are in the Northern Hemisphere? How do they know their names? How do they know how they're manned? And how do they know that the default action would be to open the ventilation systems and send the gas out into the atmosphere rather than trying to filter it some other way? Right. <laughs> so, standard answer is, oh, it's probably in the novelization. But no, the... <laughs> I Okay, so there is actually an awful lot of interesting stuff here because I raised the point earlier on about, like, how... Like, it is it's never implied, but did the Ice Warriors cause the initial malfunction with the team at? No, that was, that was Fusion being a dope. Yeah, so yeah, because I was going to say, like, you saw it in their, their whole plan was like fucking stupid, like, because it's like the same, it's like, um, what was it, like, almost like the Queen of Space, like, yes, we'll sabotage it so that it's forced to repair it so that we can get onto it, and therefore, you know, it's just stupid. You know, <laughs> no, it was, that was Fusion being lazy yeah. and delaying things by five minutes, and then um, Osgood like, I think there, there deliberately is a bit, sabotaged yeah, it. There is a bit more here, like, that I think the exposition could have. A bit more exposition could have helped, you know, kind of give in to the side of things. At least showed them looking at a map. Like, because see, again, like you have the whole thing of like Fushim is giving, is like, is telling them stuff. And we know that Fushim has been telling them stuff. But we're, we're never given an indication like that. Oh, did Fushim tell them all about, you know, what name the cities that are above, like, are in your Northern Hemisphere? Um, what is the standard protocol for, like, you know, I don't know, like a gas invasion, all this type of stuff? Like, these are the type of things that you'd assume that are being asked. Yeah, like, the whole idea behind the gas invasion was based on TMAT. Yeah. And, like, they knew that humans had a way of controlling their weather. How the fuck did he know that? And how did he know that was managed from London? And, again, some of this, like you said, Fusion explained some things, but, like, the core attack plan... But like, I suppose we have to take into account, right, that this is clearly, this is a, scout, uh, a, scout, a reconnaissance party that went on ahead. 
but we have no idea like how long they've been on ahead. Like how long like did they scope out the team at center? Like did they and like there's like obviously there's the concept of the guys go outside on the perimeter and they do walks around the moon or <laughs> the team at base because GA comments ago it would be suicide to go outside there without a pressure suit. So maybe that they were there for a while and they were just observed and then they attacked. But there's maybe. a lot of there's a lot of maybes there. Like there's yeah. an awful lot of maybes there. So I think that again, kind of like you know when we had even with even with Alex with all the, the red herrings and plot points kind of going that led to nowhere. Maybe this is a an inverse where like a bit more exposition would lead towards a bit more understanding. You know. Mm. Um. I think I have a soft spot in my soft spot in my heart for the Ice Warriors. I, I don't know why. I just think like I, I've always been kind of fascinated by you know lizard people races, um, which is odd given your uh, sheer no, hatred but, of snakes. Yes, but lizards, lizards, not snakes. <laughs> Reptiles. Yeah, they're well, related. Okay. Yes. Okay. But like, it's like the type of thing where it's like. Okay, like I, I, I don't know. Honestly, okay, sure. Right, I'm terrified. Of, I'm terrified of snakes. Okay, but as you said, they're reptiles. They're part of a huge swat of reptiles. I also fucking hate sharks, but I don't mind other types of fish. You know. <laughs> oh no! It's a salmon. Run away! <laughs> but you uh, might give me knowledge. Shit. <laughs> Irish mythological joke, everybody. <laughs> uh, Taste mank. <laughs> it was un- untold knowledge, and that's the worst. That's the worst you can come up with to describe it. Mank. <laughs> um, it burnt my thumb. <laughs> fish burnt my thumb. Now my thumb is big. Um, so I always I have a soft spot in my heart for the Ice Warriors, and they are more so than I think what anything that we've seen so far. They are a classic sci-fi horror villain. Because you've got like the the cold, steadily approaching menace of that singular ice warrior, with the path of destruction through the countryside, inside the base, hunting people down in the corridors. That it's like it's great for like old sci-fi. Yeah, and it does it does tie into the whole and the Daleks and the Cybermen have it a little bit, but I think. Mm. Because of the annoying noise that yeah. the ice warriors have, but more this idea of it doesn't matter how fast you run, the slow moving thing behind you, yeah, will eventually catch you. Exactly, and especially because you can always hear them coming. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, I like that we're again, like some of our recurring villains, we're getting to see a bit more diversity in their society and civilization. So now we have the split between ice warriors and ice lords. I think that ice lords are clearly not meant to be frontline troops, like because of the mm. fact that they're not wearing armor. So like they're, they kind of command a bit more, I won't say respect, but the fact is like that they're clearly the more strategic ones and the ice warriors themselves are just the muscle that go out and does stuff. Excuse me. Um, I, I I thought Slar was actually kind of intimidating. Like it is the thing that you know he's. I was waiting for him to just kill Fusion, but I say he's very smart because in the sense of, as it's always that kind of sword over the head. It's like you know you if you continue to help us, I will let you live. But there's always that thing for, for now. You know, mm. I'm not going to say I'm not. I'm not going to say that I'm going to let you live indefinitely. But it's just as long as you help me with my cause, 
I'm on initiative. And some like we've seen in other like you know scenarios where other characters completely fall for that and they end up being you know murdered for it, you know, or killed yeah. for it. Um, like uh, Maxwell in um, or Maxtable in even that you know, the guy that lived in Winstable, you know. <laughs> um, you said Maxwell, and my brain went to um, Maxwell Sheffield from the Nanny. <laughs> God. I, I don't know that. why. I was like, it's the only Maxwell character that came to mind. That's an amazing show. I haven't seen it in ages. Um, so I think that this, but one thing I will say is that this is a much better showing for the Ice Warriors than their actual introductory story. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I would agree. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, no. And, like, I, no, I, I'm, I'm quite enjoying them. And I think over time, they get a small bit more bearable on the auditory side of things. A little bit. Yeah. There, there's less panting and puffing. But, yeah, there's less panting and puffing, you know? The thing now that I'm curious to see is mm-hmm. what happened to them in this story. Mm-hmm. Does that have repercussions down the line? Oh, yeah. Because like there's always like you know, the story. Like I think you, the more like you get the recurring villain, like the more it's like, you know, like we saw... In the invasion, or we encountered them on planet fourteen and wherever the hell that is. Yeah, wherever it was, there is like yeah, they're a threat. They must be exterminated. They must be eliminated. So therefore, what's it going to be like the next time we see the ice warriors? Did the doctor in inadvertently doom the human race by sending the ice warriors into the sun? Yep. Who knows? We should have to wait and see. <laughs> So now that we've established uh, that we're going to be watching Robin Hood Men in Tights after this, <laughs> uh, we'll get into our overall and we'll give it a score out of five. So Trish, what are your thoughts, your final thoughts on the story? So it's interesting you mentioned Men in Tights because mm-hmm. I have a question. Okay. Why were the human males wearing their underwear on the outside? Not something that I picked up on. I thought it was just the design of the jumpsuits. Yeah, but it seemed like that lining kind of went like under the crotch and it looked like at least one of them had like, you know, buttons <laughs> down the front that you would have on guys' jocks. Do a Prince George and save on laundry bills. <laughs> I don't know. Once I noticed it, I couldn't not notice it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I thought of something you would have noticed. So I was waiting to see if we were going to mention it. No. No, seriously though, um, underwear jokes aside, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this story a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jamie didn't have a lot to do, but what he did do, he did well. We had great moments from the Doctor and Zoe. Our supporting cast was very good. All of our characters were interesting. The Ice Warrior plan was interesting. Mm-hmm. The Ice Warriors as a development from the last time we saw them was very interesting. My only negative is kind of the Ice Warriors themselves. So I find them annoying. Mm -hmm. And while their plan was good, I don't know how the fuck they came up with it. Yeah. Um, 
And unfortunately, that was a big question I was asking myself as the story was progressing. You know, that it wasn't that they stopped at the moon and came across this great opportunity. The moon was clearly the plan. So how was that the plan? Like, how was that a thing they were meant to be doing? So for me, that that did take away from it mm-hmm. a bit. And the fact that the Ice Warriors, like, drill holes in my brain was very annoying. Throughout the course of our discussion, I have been fluctuating between a four and a 4.5 and I am now going to 100% commit to a 4.5 and the reason being my issue with the Ice Warriors the breathing and their general design and whatever it doesn't take me out of the story though this is a personal preference (laughs) I think we have something very similar in the topic of the web planet when it came to the Monoptera yeah Yeah, that's just a personal preference on, yeah. on my part from a design perspective yeah. um, and the whole idea of well how did they come up with the plan while it was a question I was asking myself throughout I still thoroughly enjoyed what I was watching mm-hmm. Do you know so like that question would hold it off from being a five yeah but I don't think that I could just because I've, I've been bouncing between a four I gave it a four last night but like our characters were so strong, there was so much there in terms of, you know, fully investing in a future and not giving yourself a fallback. There was so much there in terms of how much you invest in a single person to the point where that person potentially loses their humanity because of it, and they become their job, and that's all they are. Um, how we would react to someone being a coward do you know how do you treat someone in that situation when is collaboration with the enemy in defense of your own life an acceptable or at least an understood mm-hmm. choice yeah do you know and all of that together is fantastic do you know so the four that i gave it last night i think is a uh, undervalue I don't think it's quite going to hit a five, so I'm going to go down the middle with a 4.5. Cool. Um, How about you? So, yeah, my scoring was initially a four, but for different reasons. Hmm. Because of my perception of the regression of Jamie's character at the expense of Zoe's. And, you know, Zoe coming across as the stronger of the two. Hmm. That, That was initially. But then when I went back, I thought about stuff and I was like, as I was doing up my character stuff, I was like, well, no, to be fair, like it's kind of understandable. As I said, like the scenarios he finds himself in, it's very frustrating. And like, and now with the, obviously the explanation behind the writing for Jamie's character kind of factors into that pre, that changing of scoring that I had as well. Um, the plan. Yeah. I didn't think about it too much at the time because like, I was just so sucked into the story mm. that I didn't kind of, that I kind of, I wasn't thinking, wait a minute, how the hell did this whole fucking thing start in the first place, you know? <laughs> um, but, like I, like yourself, I was like, it's not quite a five, it was like, oh, it was tantalizingly close, you know? But mm. it was a 4.5. And there was one other thing that I didn't quite enjoy. And I haven't been a big fan of the way that it's been done so far. It's whenever they try to mix suspense or terror with comedy, 
And here we have it in that kind of weird Scooby-Doo sequence where the doctor kind of like runs into an ice wire to distract it. And then it's like the weird, weird, weird way that he jogs, which is like, you know, knees up high into like the weird Hall of Mirrors corridor. And he's constantly looking around and the ice wires. Those are totally like Benny Hill music. Yeah. Yakety Sax is playing in the background. And like, I think sometimes like that undercuts the suspense of the moment. Like Patrick, I think it's like when he was in the foam when he was trying to get into the weather center, and like he's he's pratfalling and and whatever, um, and he's banging on the door to for them to let him in. Yeah, because to be fair, I have attended a foam party before. Never again. They fucking suck. They're 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 a terrible (laughs) idea. They're a terrible idea. Um, so how about a foam party in a bouncy castle? Well, see, that's different because, like, okay, technically, like, you'd imagine, like, a bouncy castle would be inside, you know, a approximate to an area where you could change your clothes. I was in a night, I was in a nightclub where the phone party was. I didn't have a spare change of clothes when I came out of the fucking nightclub at one o'clock in the morning, and I was fucking frozen. Paddy Fox, ladies and gentlemen, leave me alone. <laughs> Uh, like I'm also telling you for your own good, never go to a phone party unless you've got a change of clothes nearby. <laughs> Duly noted. Um, but yeah, no, it's like when I remember like going back, you know, like obviously we had the whole thing of like you know him clutching his bum as he did, you know, the runaway from like the Cybermen. While funny, didn't really gel up well with Vaughn being fucking murdered, you know, like just like thirty seconds beforehand. Um, because like it's not quite like. Troughton and our Hartnell in the Romans, you know, what you know, the suspense is built at the end of the preceding episode with the assassin sneaking into the room, and then the doctor takes on the assassin, and it's kind of comedic in the way that he dispatches him, mm. Be- uh, because it's a split. There's a nice split between the suspense and then the comedy, whereas here they've kind of mishmashed the two together, and it just doesn't really work, you know. Mm. Um, and like, but I don't mind. Like, you know, there's, there was times like you know at the end of. The, the dominators where it's like you know oh the lab is coming down there so yes but we're on the island at which point it's like oh my <laughs> um was oh my giddy aunt and it's like you know uh, going back inside see that's funny that's that's fine because like you have it's not quite suspense but there is an impending doom coming and <laughs> you know the reaction is funny um so yeah that kind of that took me out of that specific moment a small bit. And I, I don't like when that happens, you know, especially in great stories like this. So that's why I have it as a 4.5. Okay. So just to give a bit of a recap on season six so far, it's been a bit of a, of a higgledy-piggledy. So we've had some 2.5s, a couple of threes. We have had two stories, though, that are over four. So that would be The Invasion and this one. Um, so currently our averages are your average is 3.35 and mine is 3.5 mm. so good overall seems to be the impression for this season and um, we'll just have to see how it continues next week when our heroes face the space pirates Arr. Yar. <laughs> <laughs> I would say jinx you owe me a coke but unfortunately it, I would wait too long for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah join us next week when uh yeah we yarrow up 
also, I, I think walking the plank in space won't deter Jamie too much because he's now been edged, shown that he can walk in space. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.